In the worlds of Doctor Who for April 25th, emoji bots make you want to smile. Frank Cottrell Boyce's story took Bill to a doomed colony. What emoji reaction did it leave us with? And is it a good thing when Doctor Who banks on current pop culture? Welcome back to This Week in Time Travel. Hi, I'm Chip. And I'm Rachel. You're not Alyssa. What's going on here? Oh, I'm that's not. That's right. We we actually told people what was happening last week. Alyssa is off doing one of those family ritual wedding things, not her personally, but somebody in the family. So we've got Rachel back as part of our regular recurring This Week in Time travel team. Thanks for rejoining us. Happy to be here and hope Alyssa is having a great time with her family. Girl going to have jet lag. <laughs> so uh, we are going to be taking on the episode Smile today. Of course, that's what we do during the season. And uh, before we get there, let's uh, take a quick look at the news of the week that was and the week that is. Um, overnight ratings for Smile are out. And according to brand manager Edward Russell, it pulled in 4.2 million viewers with a 23% share. That's basically just better than episode two from the previous series. But of course, it was a different time of year. And, you know, I'm always happy when... The Slightly different time slot too, right? Different time slot too, yeah. I'm always happy for good news and improvement, but I don't sweat it too much when bad news comes. So I guess that makes me a perfect uh, PR guy for Doctor Who, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, those are pretty good numbers, though. Yeah. Um, speaking of numbers, the final ratings, the consolidated ones with the like the seven-day numbers and time shifting and all that other stuff and the appreciation index stuff, all of these important stats, which are, of course, the most important thing about Doctor Who episodes, have all just come in. And I thought it would be a really good idea to bring in a special guest uh, who cares an awful lot about stats and ratings and things like that to help us uh, put them all into context. So uh, calling in right now from Las Vegas, from the world's most popular Doctor Who podcast, here is Warren Fry. Well, 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 it looks like the stats for the pilot are out. And guess what? It's at 6.68 million. What does that mean? Who cares? Does it really matter? The show is going to go on until the Christmas episode and presumably another series past that. So really, why do you care? And it's the BBC, by the way. So does it really matter? No, it doesn't. But let's continue this vile charade and go with, oh, the overnights were 4.84 million. Well, that's certainly important. I really care what grandma was doing watching this show in real time, like some sort of an animal. All right. Well, after that, there's an appreciation index of 83. That's um, really quite impressive to know. And let's just uh, keep in mind there was an appreciation index of heaven sent of 80. So that ought to tell you how much these things are worth. Um, so really, what I have to tell you here is why are you bothering? What is the point of this? You're not going to remember the stats week to week. So 
Does it really matter? Of course it doesn't. All you want is your target books neatly in a row, your spreadsheets all lined up so you could sit there and think you're doing something productive with your lives instead of wasting it on this stupid, pointless, number-obsessed, idiotic... Ah! I, I hate you all! So, okay then. I don't think we'll be doing that again. Thanks, Warren. Uh, what else has been happening in the world of Doctor Who, Rachel? Well, there's been yet another ride on the teacups of Doctor Who casting. Oh, God. Yes. So there was a rumor out there about Michaela Cole from Chewing Gum, which got smacked down, which had come quick on the heels of the Chris Marshall rumors. I don't know. But <sighs> I think most of them have been debunked. But then there was this other kind of weird thing that came about the potential casting of a woman that Doctor Who Online claimed to have got their hands on a response letter to a BBC complaints office letter from a fan who was worried that if they cast a woman, it would confuse the kids. Oh, goodness. And they replied, don't worry, there's no plans for a female Doctor Who. But those, again, are unsubstantiated, hence my referral to this whole casting shenanigans as the teacups ride, because you just go around and around and get <laughs> nauseous, and no good comes of it. Rachel, I don't know about you. I mean... There's no information. There's just there's no there's no information. There are just rumors, bargains and lies. Uh, you know, we're not going I'm to know. I'm so anything. done. I'm so done with all of this. I, I just don't want to talk about it. I don't care. Well, I, it, I don't want to hear anything about it. So what are you saying? I think you know what I'm saying, Chip. You, you, you are you having an it's always sunny in Philadelphia moment? I might be. God bless, Charlie. Okay, uh, so we're two for two for uh, rants and distress here. Uh, let's wrap up the news with something uh, nice and positive and happy-making. One of my favorite old podcasts in the Doctor Who universe was the Oodcast. Uh, Chris Mead, Laura Mead, Chris Faustin, and Andrew Candish. Um, skits and uh, song parodies and affectionate uh, criticism and review of episodes. The Oodcast was lovely. And after a number of years, they're back with a miniseries that's really hard for them to get the whole crew together uh, for, you know, life happening and things like that. But they all contributed to the first episode of what they're calling The Ood One Out. I have no idea what exactly that means, but it just makes me happy. Their podcast is available at theoodcast.com. And if you ever listen to the old podcast, the new ones are in their feed right now. So welcome back, everyone. It's good to have you back. I've actually never listened to the Oodcast, but I'm looking forward to jumping in and see what they are. It's it's just so it's just so positive and happy, but not saccharinely so um i i i, I love these folks i, I love i love the I love the spirit of it all so um so which emoji would you assign to them oh oh hearts in the eyes hearts in the eyes totally hearts in the eyes <laughs> figured that was an appropriate scale yeah. given this week's episode given this week's episode indeed and i guess this means that this is a good time for a segue from the news and from surviving warren's rant about the ratings 
into the episode, Smile. I think I know what emoji Warren would use about ratings uh, based on what he submitted. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So, emoji bots. Yeah. Going into this thing, Rachel, were you looking forward to the episode? You know, I was intrigued by it, partially because of the use of the emoji bots in the trailer, but also because I felt from a visual perspective, the little snippets we had gotten from it in the trailer, it reminded me a lot of New Earth. Hmm. And so I know a lot of people have sort of compared this a little bit more to um, End of the World. But I had initially had in my head New Earth because of the visuals of it and sort of the clean look of it. And so, and given that they were both the kind of first adventure episodes of their seasons, um, I thought there was an apt comparison there. Yeah, I am still getting a really strong series one revisited or examined kind of vibe from this season Uh, absolutely and 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 i was i was saying to some friends earlier you know there's a running thread in received like fan wisdom or something about uh, stephen moffat's approach to doctor who and how a lot of people assume that he was just trying to fix or counter everything that he didn't like about russell t davis's approach to the show and I'm not real cynical by heart, so I tend to think like, no, just uh, he's just trying to improve on previous seasons. That's what any showrunner would do, whether or not he had written the previous seasons. But the parallels in this or in the early going anyway for this series compared to series one of the new series, I, I it just doesn't feel like a coincidence to me. Yeah, it does not feel like a coincidence at all. Uh, it's the first off-world adventure. It goes to the future, very far into the future. And in fact, in similar circumstances, in the sense that, you know, the Earth is dying in the end of the world. And this is a story built around humanity finding a new place to live because Earth is unsustainable anymore. And, you know, it's really about the companion understanding that perspective yeah um i i loved it i i loved this episode and i was surprised about it because well i wasn't i didn't exactly have high hopes for a story by frank cottrell boyce after his previous going in this one what did you did you like in the forest of the night you know i did not like it the first time i watched it and didn't go back for repeat viewings really because it just felt like a lull in that season overall. And I went back and watched it after watching Smile and I actually gained a huge appreciation for it that wasn't there before. I still don't think it's, you know, the the greatest thing ever, but I liked it a lot more and I could see a lot more of the similarities between the two episodes, um, especially with kind of, similar usage of Maeve from Forest of the Night and Bill in Smile in terms of asking precocious 
questions that Hmm. are maybe from a slightly different angle than the doctor has normally been asked these sorts of questions, um, that, that having sort of, uh, you know, a smart kid, so to speak, even though one's a grown adult, but still an inquisitive adult who's literally his student, Right. right. As opposed to Maeve, who was Danny and Clara's student, but a student nonetheless and asking, you know, really interesting questions and going in depth in a way that others may not. And and I think that especially for kids watching the show, they represent kid viewers of the show, I think, in that those are the kinds of questions that the kids sitting next to you on the couch might ask watching the show. Another similarity is that the conclusion of the episodes in both The Forest of the Night and Smile these stories both kind of wrap up kind of abruptly or the doctor doesn't have to do a whole lot of ingenious problem solving in either one. Uh, Forest of the night, it's just sort of step back and let nature do what nature needs to do and everything will be fine. Um, In this one, he sort of figures out the nature of the problem and he reboots the system with a quick sonic screwdriver thing. But the result, the resolution of the problem really isn't the point of the story, is it? No, it isn't. It's more about the lesson learned and the allegory. And, you know, I said when Stephen Moffat took over the series, watching 11th Hour, that, you know, RTD's Doctor Who felt like a sci-fi show. And Moffat's series, at least in that first episode at that time, felt like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. It just did. And that the the visual, the lushness of it, the kind of language, the way that the doctor interacted with people. And I feel like both Forest of the Night and Smile are total representative of that aspect of Moffat's storytelling. Yeah, they it, really steer into that. Yeah. And, you know, especially when um, the doctor gives that whole spirit uh, speech about the magic haddock. Yeah, I was wondering about that because I didn't catch what was going on early or early when he he'd make a couple references to the magic haddock in the uh, early in the episode. And I was like, should I be watching this with closed captions? Because I'm not getting what he's putting down. Yeah. And so I after the episode aired, I went and tried to find the, you know, the exact text of it and read it. And yeah, it's just all about allegory and turning our fears about what's going on in the world into solvable problems. This episode looked great, I thought. This was um this was amazing. When uh, Oh, it was so beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. Uh towards the end of last season, I was starting to and especially with the uh the return of Dr. Mysterio, uh I was starting to feel like Doctor Who was looking pretty cheap, but uh the last, I can't imagine that they've got any more money to work with than they had back then. But there's something about these last couple of episodes. They look, they look great. They do. And I'm so glad that they filmed this on location and able to kind of put together a base on a remote planet out of this museum. There was a bit of a shortage of extras in the background and things like that as far as the plot was concerned, but that was actually a plot point. And, um, and a ju- plot point that made total sense. It didn't – I mean, it was weird when they first arrived and there were no people, especially because we had gotten the little intro with people. But 
because we knew that as the audience where, you know, the trope of the audience knowing ahead of time and the characters having to figure it out. I, I think that it just made sense and it didn't feel like people were missing. Yeah. I think that Doctor Who can be done cheaply and God knows it was done cheaply back in the classic series days, but it's really important for it to not look cheap and they seem to be really really doing getting the job done or at least early on to establish that you know this is doctor who big you know, all of time and space it's expansive and uh whatever tricks that they're using um they're they're making it happen i mean the interior of the spaceship section was clearly a uh, factory space somewhere but it it got as the they job. all are yeah exactly it, it got the job done this isn't the low point for me has always been Victory of the Daleks, all the way back in Series 5, when the Dalek spaceship was an industrial space that had sprinkler systems in the ceiling. This is not that. <laughs> this is this is no. not that. This is this looks this looks otherworldly, even though I it's I know, and those wheat fields were oh so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the it, the atmosphere is so important to a strong Doctor Who story. One thing that I uh, discovered uh, looking around, and some people have been talking about it since the, but the the sort of swarm robots, not the emoji bots, that, but the part of the architecture uh, dudes that that devoured uh, the colonists are called Vardis, and they are named after Professor Andrew Vardy at Memorial University of Newfoundland, who uh, has been studying swarm robots and things like that. And I ju- that's kind of cool. That is uh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so good on you, Newfoundland. Uh, and let me just make a random additional shout out to the Memorial University of Newfoundland, one of the best old school uh, Doctor Who websites uh, that goes into all kinds of details about the making of episodes. It's called A Brief History of Time Travel, and you should check that out as well. That's another MUN product. Um, but that is a serious aside there. Uh, Rachel, any other uh, thoughts about uh, Smile? I really loved the continuation of the development between the 12th doctor and bill and their relationship uh starting from you know the tardis layout discussion about where the chairs are located and where's the steering wheel and just kind of forcing the doctor to think about things in a different way i love the moment about uh with the algae food with the two hearts and that he's continuing to talk about kind of the robots and the situation they're in. And she's just kind of stuck on, you have two hearts. <laughs> and, you know, I, I think that was a really good moment. And I think there are, there are a couple of good little dialogue moments. Um, I loved how they, the doctor kept referring to the you know, the early settlers there as the skeleton crew because they ended up as skeletons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that just made me giggle every time. Yeah. It, which is weird because it was about dead people, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and then the little moment about uh, her asking him about why is he Scottish and him saying, oh, yeah, the Scottish people settle everywhere only to ask for independence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there was the line of, um, all traps are beautiful. That's how they work. Yeah. Good stuff. There was one, there was one point 
that was kind of awkward for me in the episode, but I think it was intentionally so. And it was it was the uh, Nardole um, brief. Oh right, he was the there, beginning. but not really. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, when um, the doctor rolls his eyes and says it's mum, and then Nardole comes in to Hector uh, the doctor, which. It's, that's kind of interesting. I imagine that we will finally get a little explanation a little later on about just why uh, he's made this oath about the vault and why Nardole's being his uh, conscience on that sort of thing. But when Doesn't he, that feel like a, a Moffat-written scene tacked on? It does. It does. But what took me aback was when Nardole's complaining about Bill being there which seemed a little out of place compared to the previous episode. But um, when he says, I'm not making her tea, I'm not going to be slave to a human, and, 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 and sort of stalks out of the TARDIS. And mind you, I'm from the southern U.S., and I've just been reading a book about the history of congressional action on whether or not to consider a slave emancipation and things like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sensitive to this sort of thing. But Nardole saying this uh, about a black woman um, just struck me in a way that it might not have struck in, it might not have struck people in the UK as they watch this. So I'm, he, so Matt Lucas delivers this line and I'm going, I'm not really down with what I just heard. But then there is this awkward silence after Nardole says this and uh, leaves the TARDIS. And the camera just sort of hovers on the 12th Doctor and then on Bill. And I'm thinking that that was kind of intentional. Like, that. okay, this was not a good thing. And I, in the end, I think I kind of appreciated that moment. You know, as long as something more is perhaps done with it a little bit later. Uh, did you get any of that from 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 that little interchange or am i just being kind of oversensitive no i don't think either is true i didn't notice it particularly in the way that you did but i don't think that it meant nothing either i think this was a really good episode uh i don't I do think too yeah I, i'm not going to put it up against the grand the the ones that people always point to as the greatest examples of doc, of modern doctor who but no, but it was a very solid standalone adventure episode. A great sci-fi feel. And although, you know, the doctor waving his sonic screwdriver and ending the crisis just like that isn't maybe the most satisfying narrative resolution, what comes no, after that, was, that? Yeah, that was a little uncomfortable. Yeah. I got to say, just because he basically acknowledges them as a life form and their own entity and then reboots them yeah all of a sudden it, we've been we've been back and forth on the uh on the mind wiping thing it's like we've had all of these criticisms in the in the show of what the 10th doctor did to donna and it came back with clara at the end of the last series it came back again last episode with bill and then he just mind wipes the whole race of the uh, Vardis. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how that plays out in terms of any themes or arcs for the season. But beyond that, ending with the uh, now you've got to negotiate because these are actually the indigenous life forms. That, that was pretty. That was pretty damn clever. Yeah. 
uh, so what would your emoji be for the episode? Probably. Well, so here, here's an interesting thing about the episode. I know it's like a long winded way to get to an emoji, but, um, the use of emoji here was very simplistic, right? It was like 90% variations of a smiley face or, you know, frowns or tears or something. There was the thumbs up and then there was the skeleton. I'm trying to think if there was anything else that showed up along the way. Oh, there was that maybe like the light bulb for an idea. Mm-hmm. But I feel as though our use of emoji right now is so much far evolved beyond that. And for this to take place way, way in the future to not have a more evolved use of emoji Hmm. was a little bit weird. That being said, I might actually put a flower next to a sun next to fire. Okay. I was just going to give it a smiley face. (laughs) But that's but, what I'm saying is that people write complete sentences and fully thought out ideas in emoji. I know. I've tried to read Carrie Fisher's old tweets. <laughs> but still, complexities of emoji aside, two unreserved uh, thumbs up, whether in emoji symbols or not, for smile, wouldn't you say? I would agree. Awesome. Well, we're going to come back and talk a little bit more about emoji in just a second on This Week in Time Travel. As always, there's plenty happening in pop culture worlds, not just in Doctor Who, on The Incomparable Network. Scott McNulty's Random Trek takes on Eye of the Needle. The Hollywood Reporter's Tim Goodman reviews Neil Gaiman's American Gods on the TV talk machine. And if you missed it, check out Jason Snell and James Thompson's Flashcast from Saturday about Smile. All this at TheIncomparable.com. So when the emoji bots were first announced and we saw this stuff and we had the clip of bill saying oh they speak emoji i got i got kind of nervous rachel i have to admit why because well i'm not sure that doctor who always does a great job of sort of ripped from the headlines or in the zeitgeist uh Mm. references um because because a lot of old school fans have said in my presence that when Doctor Who sort of tries to comment on something of today or use current pop culture references or something like that, that, uh, oh no, now these episodes are just going to feel dated when we look at them again. Doctor Who should always be timeless. It should be made for posterity. And the fashion from the classic series isn't dated at all, one bit. <laughs> no, no, no. No, nope. um, you know, and I kind of have, I kind of have mixed feelings about that perspective because I, you know, sci-fi, and I know Doctor Who is not pure sci-fi, but sci-fi is always at its best when it's sort of commenting on the world of today. But it's also good enough; it's got enough going on that you can come back to it uh, five or ten or. 50 years later and still get something out of it. Um, but how do you, 
does Doctor Who do a good job as far as you're concerned with, uh, you know, trying to comment on today's world or trying to be trendy? You know, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag. They try to put some things in now and again because you have to, I think, in order for the stories to work, uh, especially like uh, Bells of St. John with the use of the Internet. Mm hmm. And how that worked, uh, there's kind of no way around that. But they try to stick mostly to the general truths of humanity as far as what they tackle. Uh, but they do they do mention specific things that point to specific times. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes and I just I just made a bit of a list, and I'm sure I'm missing a lot of stuff. But I'm just going to go sort of walk backwards in time from today to or to early Doctor Who. Just some examples that I pulled, uh, like, but starting with the emoji bots. I mean, we've had emoji. And pe- people have been making use of emoji commonplace, not just a, a nerdy thing that people discovered no. um, in the Japanese keyboard or something like that. People have been using emoji for a couple of years now. So it feels like uh, the use of the uh, the creation of the emoji bots in Doctor Who feels a little di- a little late. And like you said, uh, when we were wrapping up the review, you know, people are using them a lot more complicatedly than this episode did. Yes. Uh, but let me let me let me run through uh, just a few bullet points of other examples uh, working backwards. Uh, Matt Smith uh, com- complaining about the existence of Twitter and the power of three. Um, and in that same episode, Amy talking about the cubes that have uh, turned into a trend like like iPads have dropped out of the sky and iPads aren't exactly the trendy hot technology topic, uh, technology item of today. Um River Song using uh, the term spoilers, which is purely about uh, purely about pop culture and uh, social media and such. Um, ear pods in Rise of the Cybermen were totally a commentary on you know Bluetooth headsets and people always having their noses in their phones. Uh, oh yeah, and in um, I think it was Utopia when the Doctor said something about you're busy blogging yes which made absolutely no sense no no <laughs> um the the reality shows the big brother thing that was that was seriously topical in and series weakest one. link yeah. yes the the android in the weakest link mm-hmm. does that make any sense would anybody really, know who she today? is yeah. yeah would like an eight-year-old kid watching that show know who she is yeah exactly well maybe in the uk they would but they wouldn't in the u.s that's for sure yeah um the joke, I think the joke about a jukebox being an, called an iPod in the end of the world, I think that joke still holds up. But uh, we had that jukebox slash iPod playing uh, Britney Spears and Tainted Love. Uh, and I don't know, was that was that dated? Britney Spears is timeless and forever, Chip. Yes, ma'am. Especially toxic. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, okay, so that's clearly not dated and not and, – and okay, got it. Um, going back to classic series, a few uh, examples that I thought of. Uh, Inferno, 1970, John Pertwee irritatedly act, asking the alternate universe unit folks if they expected Batman at the TARDIS controls. Um, the Beatles drop in in the chase – 
which if you're in North America, you might not know that the Beatles are actually in Chase because, hey, right? But they just found a reason to drop a Top of the Pops performance into a William Hartnell episode. And then finally, uh, no longer moving backwards, but looking forward at the uh, trailer for this series. Okay, for the record, dabbing is done. Cam Newton, the quarterback of the Carolina Panthers, used to dab after every touchdown celebration, and even he quit that because it was old and busted. And we have, according to Rachel Talalay, this is uh, Stephen Moffat's son's fault, we have Missy dabbing in the series. Oh, that was so painful. Trailer. So painful. I told my son, and I showed my son a picture of Missy dabbing in the trailer. And he just buried his head in his hands. And he was like embarrassed on behalf of the entire Western Hemisphere to see dabbing in a Doctor Who trailer. So again, I have to ask Rachel, is this a good thing? Is this a good thing when it happens in Doctor Who? You know, I think it's something that's unavoidable in TV to some degree. And having it be a time travel show... If those things are relevant in the time that the episode is taking place in, then why not? Even if it may feel dated to you later on when you're watching it, you can say, oh, no, that was in 2005 and Billy Piper should be wearing those jeans, you know, or it was 2014. We should be talking about Twitter. I guess so. I guess it's actually not so much that it looks dated when you watch the episode like five years later, but if it feels dated now when you're watching it in real time. Yeah, I mean, that's a problem. I think the the dabbing is a problem. (laughs) I think the dabbing is, well, there there are going to be people who are going to be very, very happy about the dabbing, I'm sure. I am in... This is this is a broad church. We can we can we can welcome all things, but yeah, yeah. I you know like especially with an example of the jukebox as iPod, I think that worked partially because the songs that it played weren't exactly songs that would have been in a jukebox. They would have been in an iPod. Mm-hmm. They're exact songs that would have been in an iPod. Yeah. So bringing it bringing it full circle to this week's episode, then. The emoji bots weren't the freshest pop culture reference in the universe, at least as far as today is concerned. But do you think it held up as uh, something to build an episode around? And do you think it'll hold up a few years from now? I think so. I think when the story kind of wrapped itself up and we got a sense of why the emoji bots kind of transformed from just maintaining health to maintaining happiness, I think it does hold up. And I think it works for a wide variety of audiences, you know, from kids understand them, adults understand them. And I think that when we look back on the episode, you know, watching it five years from now, I I just don't see us feeling any different. Yeah, I think so, too. And the... The good thing is about the emoji bots and the iconic stuff that went with them is that their designs were so good 
the, the visual designs and the um, the concepts in the episode were so good that they sort of transcended the attempt to be trendy, I think. Yeah, I would agree. So resolved, Doctor Who should try to be up on its trends, but maybe a little bit faster and not at the expense of making a story that isn't going to be pleasant to check in on a few years down the road. Exactly. Good. We have resolved this issue. Uh, Chris Chibnall, if you're taking notes, we've laid this out for you once you take over the show. But don't turn into Black Mirror, because that's too grown up. So next week on This Week in Time Travel, Alyssa will be back and we will be in full-on Regency mode for Doctor Who with thin ice, as we saw in the uh, sort of the cliffhanger, but not really at the end of this last episode. Rachel, thanks so much for uh, filling in for Alyssa this week. My pleasure. And where can folks find our podcast and our merry band? They can find us on the internet at thisweekintimetravel.com, on Twitter at drwhothisweek. Send us your favorite emojis. Chip can be found at 2minutetimelord. I'm R. Miriam. Alyssa is Whovian Feminism. And you can find us on Facebook as well. The Incomparable Network is run by one Jason Snell. His emoji would be a Zeppelin. Our theme music is by Christopher Breen. His emoji would be a full head of luxurious hair. And our podcast logo was designed by one David J. Lore. I have no idea what his emoji would be. We will be back next time on This Week in Time Travel. Thanks a lot. See ya.